as the global co-working and conference community, we've had our fingers on the pulse of co-working since 2012, and we've connected thousands of operators, both in person and online. On the Juicy Podcast, we talk with the people making it happen day in and day out. Let's get to it. Okay, everybody, it's exciting. We have John Williams back, and John is one of our most listened to podcasts consistently. So you're in for a treat. Welcome back, the CMO of Instant, John Williams. Great to be back. Good to have you. Okay, right off the bat, how are you as a human? Don't tell me about business. I want to hear about how you are as a person. Good question. In that today, I went to work, and for the first time ever, I forgot my glasses, so I'm flying blind. So it's awesome. pretty interesting. I can't, you're a big blur right now, as is my Ooh. research. So I did my best to memorize it. So hopefully I'll be pretty much on point without any visual aid whatsoever. Fantastic. Mm. Fantastic. And you're healthy and the fam's healthy. Family are great. They're 12 and 10 and my wife is doing superbly well. They are all doing very good. New schools, new time. It's been great. It's been a challenging year, but now we're all certainly imperfectly. Thank you. Yeah, I was talking with Natasha from Runway East yesterday, and she was like, I feel like we actually had a summer this past summer. And you're <laughs> like, yeah, I would agree. We had that too. Did you have a summer? No, we had no summer to speak of. We've had a beautiful autumn so far. The best part of my summer was going to the Austrian mountains, which if I could recommend to anyone is just an incredible holiday. Mm. No, clearly, it's not the same as doing the beach thing. But mm-hmm. being in the mountains there when it's 30 degrees and it's perfect blue skies, there is really is nowhere like it. So to anyone who's thinking of a holiday destination for next year, go there. I love it. I love it. I was I did the Oregon coast a couple of years ago and I'm like, this place is magic. I loved it. It was cold and rainy, which if you live in Texas is like bliss. You're like, oh my gosh, cloudy skies. That's so cool. Says you, who's just come back from the beach in Puerto Rico, though, right? Is that was that fair? No, I was in Costa Rica, and then I went to Florida, and then I was in Toronto because you know we've done three events this year, and our fourth is coming up in London, which we're excited about you talking about. So today we're going to do a little bit of a precursor to that. So one, tell me how business is, and two, let's talk about some of this research. Well, as everyone, I talk about the business. I'll try and talk about the sector too, because clearly what we do. Is, is an indicator, I suppose, of wider demand. And having been in the States recently for GWA, if I'm allowed to, to, to plug GWA, it's interesting that the mood in the room and the data we presented, it feels like there's work to do in the US. I think still feel there's a lot of unresolved questions about the return to work and the labor market is dictating employee behavior. So there are more occupancy challenges for flex operators, I'd say in the US than there are in the UK, for example. Mm-hmm, for sure. The data we're going to give for GC London just points to particularly the fact in London is it, space here is so full. I mean, there'll be a lot of operators we just recently presented in uh, the amazing ministry in Borough, mm-hmm. 25% occupancy. Mm-hmm. They're doing so well. Now, not everyone's in that position, but when you compare it to the States, you feel that the US, there's still road to go down. There's still road to travel there. And I think that's a challenging market And I don't think that's indicative of flex. I think it's indicative of where the economy is at in the U.S. from the point of view is what's happening to cities, what's happening to the labor market, what's happening with employment or unemployment. And those are really big, thorny issues. But you just got a palpable sense of that in the room. I I felt that. Yeah, but, you know, that's it's interesting because I'm always pointing to how London is such a great market. 
and how you just walk down the street and there's just co-working spaces all over the place. Like, what is it about London? Why isn't Paris like that too? Or is Paris like that? And I just don't know it. Like, what is so different about London? Well, it's the, the comparison to draw between is easier between London and the US because I think the reason why, say, somewhere like DC has been slightly hollowed out is workers haven't come back in meaningful numbers. They still haven't settled into a pattern or a routine of when they come in to use a space or not. Whereas in and, and that's due to the way that in the States, people tend to drive into the city center or their offices are located around in different districts. In London, the office market is in the center where everything else is, the culture, the tourism, the transport, mm-hmm. housing, everything is here. Mm-hmm. And it's a draw for all those reasons. And so operations mm-hmm. benefiting from the fact, say, in Southwark, where we are, are here just south of the river, it's such a vibrant area full of tourists. It's busy nearly all the time, even Mondays and Fridays, because there's footfall all the time. So you just get a very different sense of being here and, and purpose for being here, which I think you do in some U.S. cities. Yeah, I definitely think that part of the problem with the U.S. cities that didn't come back as great was their walkability. I, I really, I strongly feel that. And then that dictates the, your reason for coming in and when you see your colleagues and your, your purpose for the day. But having said all that, though, I should be more optimistic when you talk about Florida's uh, markets like Florida or Texas mm-hmm. flying, according to the numbers. I mean, really flying. So it, you've got a game of two halves ready for you guys. There's, there's kind of northern cities that are battling. The ones in the southern states, it's a completely different story. Again, for macro reasons, they're right. Taxation, uh, natural uh, migration of people from the west and east coast into those locations in the south. Right. I mean, you're, you'll be more of an expert on that than me, but that, that's what the data suggests. Yeah, for sure. It's very much city dependent. You know, it's what's going on in that city. And the three that we see called out the most as struggling are San Francisco, Chicago, and D.C. Yeah, no, exactly. For for reasons which are well documented. And I suppose the other component part about this is as well, for your market, we did a heat map of demand in the U.S. And when you compare it to four or five years ago, the the sort of secondary tertiary markets, I always hate to call them that, but, you know, suburbs. Yeah, it's outside that there's a lot of transactions going on in there and a lot of interest and demand. Mm-hmm. And what we try and do is do more of an overlay to say, well, there's supply really meeting that demand because it's that mismatch whereby there's opportunity for operators. And we've got to crunch some numbers to help them say, look, these are the growing areas outside of your normal city core. But we know that's difficult to try and model if you're not already there. It's hard to understand what will that mean in terms of occupancy, footfall and pricing. It's a difficult thing to, to kind of coalesce around. So if you were a new operator and you were opening up a co-working brand in the UK, would you go London first and then go out to the suburbs or would you go suburbs first and go into London when you had demand? It's a really interesting question. I think it depends when you do it, right? So I'm going to slightly chicken out of my answer and say, (laughs) if you were to do it now, you'd go for London. And I'll give you the primary reason why that is because... The, the landlords in these other locations, suburban locations or outside the donut, they're still waiting for something else to happen. And they're, wait, they're being told by the, the agents, the conventional brokers, that the market's going to come back. Don't worry, things will change. The market demand will pick up. Of course. So the story I hear from most operators is in negotiating or trying to forge deals with these landlords to make it happen, it's really hard to negotiate because they have very different expectations of pricing to what's going to work for flex. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, having said that, 
you see guys almost every day on LinkedIn right now. So the guys at Riga have been really busy and there's others too who are, who are opening spaces in secondary or tertiary markets and they're really excited about them. And they're opening with good occupancy and it's in a different market, very different market to London or their traditional homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. I think I've asked the question. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm not sure what I would do. I think things are still evolving and changing. We haven't like landed on homeostasis yet post-COVID, right? Because there's still those people that are, you know, pounding their fists and saying you have to come back to the office. And then there's those people that are like, but do we? And so, you know, I think the thing I keep telling people is, you know, it goes back to a couple of years ago, my Megatrends article was about, what's changed is people now have a choice and they are choosing where they want to work and when they want to work and how they want to work. And if you want to retain the best people, especially at the higher levels, you have to give them the flexibility to do what they want to do and work where they need to work. Because you know what, we're all grown ass adults and we can make these decisions for ourselves. And the workplace needs to get out of our way and let us do it. Exactly that. But then you, Completely. And but I, I wonder how much of that is the US right now in your employment market, whereby the power is with the employees. Yeah. But what record low unemployment or whatever it is. And so you've got people very much who have they're in the box seat. You look at Paris, Amsterdam, Berlin in Europe, and actually return to office is really happening. So mm. people are going back in all the time. Yeah. They're smaller cities, they're very walkable cities, they're different markets, but the real to off return to office is real there. And people are more confident in that mix. Again, maybe it's down to the yeah, I think part of that too, though, is in those bigger cities, right? Your home is pretty small. You don't always have a space for a home office, right? In the U.S., most it's like, I gra- granted, I know this sounds very privileged, but most people I know like have a separate room for their home office in their home, you know? And I think in those bigger markets, in Europe in particular, you don't have that kind of luxury. You're completely right. And then I look around the office here today and then we're pretty, we're full actually on a Thursday, a very rainy Thursday in in London. Mm. I'd say most people who are here are probably the under thirties or definitely the under 35s because they come here. I think they enjoy working together and collaborating as you say, a different domestic situation. So completely right. Yeah. Okay. So I was just talking with a CEO yesterday and he instant came up and he was like, yeah, that's IWG. Wow. I, I'm not going to take any names, but I, I, I hear that. I bet you've mentioned that to me before. Yeah. I mean, we discussed this with the guys at GWA. We'll discuss it at GC in London. Always mm-hmm. be transparent about this. We are and always have been fully independent. There is no bias or preference for leads in terms of the way they're shared to the market. There's certainly no sharing of data or any inside information anyway whatsoever. We function as an entirely separate entity. So... I, I don't want to sound in any way overly defensive, but the reality of the situation is we've, we've been doing this for 18 months now. Mm-hmm. Nothing's changed in that regard. We're focused on trying to increase as much demand to the market as we possibly can yeah. and offer as much insight and data. What I would say is in areas where I've worked or collaborated with RWG, I think it's really interesting to meet those guys up close and to hear how they do things because... Mm-hmm. They've been doing it a long time. They're really good at what they do and how they do yeah. it. And they've got a very clear sense of this is our direction of travel. For example, you hear Mark Dixon talking about hybrid working in the press around the world all the time. His views and forecasts and prediction on that is, is very exciting for anyone in the market because he sees suburban flex as being 100% the answer 
to the hybrid working conundrum. And he's doubling down on that in a massive way in terms of where he locates, where he sees market growth. So his view, which as far as the best thing the industry can do is grow demand for everyone as quickly as yeah. you can and yeah. give people options. Because the sooner we do that, the more options we provide, the more people will work there. So at the moment, there isn't really enough supply to cater for that demand in any situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I was really excited to see, you know, Mr. Yardy was talking also about the future of co-working. It's like to see these icons talk about this and know that, like, our gut was always right on co-working and that is where it's going to go. And even in this eventual real estate crash, which I want to talk about, you know, co-working will do great. If you're just doing space for the sake of space, you're going to be struggling. And to me, that's, you know, generally what flex is, is offering flexible lease terms and doing space for the sake of space and the differentiator with co-working or spaces that provide belonging, community and connection. And that's the reason people opt into co-working is because they feel like they belong. And in in this world of loneliness and desperation, like we need to be connected at work where we spend the majority of our day. And so working home in isolation is not a good thing for the average human. I I completely agree. I I really do. And I don't want to turn this into an agreement fest, but I think that those bonds that tie us together as businesses of all sizes are weakening. So mm-hmm. working home in optionality, as you've said, is wonderful. But running a big team, I've got quite a big marketing team here. And you know, we haven't seen each other enough for the last two or three weeks. So I'm making a real effort now to organize yeah. things and we all come in together because we need to spend some time in person together. But without plugging it, the, the consumer research we've done on top of our normal kind of data and analysis of the market. Mm-hmm really for me confirms this because and, and to go back to two kind of questions when we talk about the challenges facing the office market i think it's office and co-working lumped in is we have to persuade people to leave their homes that's kind mm-hmm. of our, our new selling thing yes businesses will come in and try and buy space but the end user we've got to get them out and say right leave your house leave netflix leave whatever it is and come to the office to enjoy mm-hmm. it what you need to do that and the consumer research bears that out we need to get people mm-hmm. out of home-led routine to make them feel that there is an easy option and a fun option to come to space particularly and to want to do so and to remove some of those points of friction because again the the consumer research flags that these guys say we've used co-working before we like it's a good idea but it's quite hard to get private space sometimes sometimes it can be hard to get access because of fiddles around logging in or entering data difficulty about logging onto wi-fi and finding a desk just different, those little friction points add up together to become something quite um, surmountable for people. So I think as an industry, we need to work hard to kind of erase those barriers to make it super easy and fun to check into a co-working space. And I know you're a pro and you work in a lot of different spaces and you know exactly how to get in and who to speak to, but I'd say your average user has no idea of the options available to them or how to use the space optimally. So how do we do that collectively to make that an easier process? Well, and I think a lot of, I I actually think the aggregators in the industry, which I know they hate that term, but I don't care. They're going out and speaking with the Microsofts and the Zooms and the Verizons and saying, let us help you get into space, which I'm sure you're doing as well, because it can be incredibly easy. And, you know, we've been preaching to operators for years that, like, you've got to remove the barriers to entry. People need to be able to be on a phone call, walk in, wave at somebody, and go sit down and get to work. 
Yeah. Like you got to be able to just keep working as you're on the move. So one of the things I've been thinking about lately is meeting people where they're at. So I feel like people are really going and acting in a lot of different ways post-COVID. I'm shopping different. I'm doing delivery different. I'm driving differently. So what are some things that Instant is doing to meet people where they're at? Wow. I mean, yeah, that's a good question. I suppose the bit that pertains most to me is the digital world. So that's, we're seeing the altering digital demand in the market. And it refers back to your initial question, actually, around what, what's happening in there. And yes, we're seeing digital demand increase from those regional areas. It's gone from kind of small to growing, but it, you play that off against the trend whereby actually, if we're really honest, we look at the data, demand for co-working space and office space is, is pretty flat or declining Glo globally as a trend. And in the US, it's definitely been declining, but I think it goes back again to this economic woe. I don't think it's lack of interest in co-working per se or flex because we're, we all feel bullish and predict great things for it. It's more economic inactivity and uncertainty and people looking at cost and thinking what happens next. So I, I'm not quite answering your question. I, I'm answering it from a digital point of view because I, I was concerned about that demand mm -hmm. going up enough for my liking because people are going down. So to try and answer your proper question, which was, where are we going to look for people? I think we, from our point of view, our business are working harder to find people who aren't actively searching in the market because that's going down a little bit. We have to work harder to try and find people and persuade them that, oh, you should be looking for flex or space options right now because there's a world of opportunity out there for you and a world of options. So don't think it's the most expensive. Don't think that you should be cutting costs right now. Think about how this will empower your business and add value to your day and enable your, your, your teams to do their best work. Does that make, make sense? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Hey there, breaking in here to tell you about our upcoming conference. Join us in London this November for Juicy UK. We'll discuss the latest trends and innovations in the co-working and flex space world. In addition to our awesome sessions, attendees will be able to network with industry leaders and providers. We'll round out the Juicy experience with a happy hour and tour of local co-working spaces. Whether you're a space operator, investor, developer, vendor, or just co-curious, Juicy UK has something for you. Mark calendars and plan to join us in London on November 2nd and 3rd. See you there. So back to real estate office, I'm going to separate real estate and office because I think, you know, I've been on a mission to convince all co-working operators that they're not in the real estate industry, that that's in the, that we were just lumped into the wrong place. And once I realized it, I was like, oh, crap, we've got every we got to move everybody. And so if you go look, most of the major operators in LinkedIn are now in the hospitality business. So, you know, Fora, Hub Australia, Uncommon, they're all in the hospitality business because our primary business is taking care of humans. It's not taking care of real estate. Yeah. Oh, real estate part of the equation? Sure, it is. 100%. So just to give you some examples around here, and I did a piece with Bloomberg this week where I was quoted around this, is if just in this area where we are in London again, you go to Ministry, you go to Uncommon, who are nearby us, and some great space, and Fora, and Tog, and they all serve damn good coffee, right, and good food. I was speaking to the owner of Ministry. He's investing in chefs who trained at Otolenghi. He's a beautiful restaurant. He's hired them here. He has his food all prepared in the morning by the chefs. He I does fresh that. smoothies. He's got a queue for coffee going out the door. 
And one of the landlords I was interviewing on this panel for the show, he's like, yeah, I actually go there for my coffee of the weekend. It's so good. Mm-hmm. So he's coming at the ministry are coming at it, that they are a hospitality business, hundred percent. So they're mm-hmm. over in catering, they're over investing their gym and everything else and service. And you can just tell, and is their payback? Yeah. I mean, he's charging basically a thousand pounds per desk per month. You know, and he can afford to do that because the margins mm-hmm. are there and he knows what he's doing. So not everyone's doing it to that degree, but I think that's the business we're in. And it goes back to a bit of research we did for, for GWA and Juicy. It is if every, well, 60% of landlords are saying they're going to get into flex and a lot of them are saying they'll self-deliver. So if we're the service provision between the customer and the landlord, we're going to have to be really good at service and hospitality to maintain relevancy if landlords think they can do that. I'm not saying they can, the best mm-hmm. their is, hey, we'll just do this. We'll, we'll do yeah, yeah. We'll it. Looks easy. We can do that. Yeah. It's just, that's just cash coming into the business, but we know it's not. And we know that they're not really geared up for that challenge. So that's going to be really interesting to see how that unfolds over the next two, three years. Yeah. And, you know, part of the reason I wanted to move co-working out of real estate is I feel like that industry is a bit of an anchor. And, you know, with people jettisoning out of office space, like we are going to see a crash. We are going to see a crash. And, it, you know, last year I said it was four years away. This year I'm thinking it's about two years away. Like you just can't have that much real estate globally get turned back and it not affect the global economy. And then like after the real estate people turn over all this stuff, then the banks are going to be in crisis. So like that's what I'm thinking. And I think that's a lot of the hesitation that we're seeing in this economic uncertainty is we all see the writing on the wall and his real estate. And, you know, it's like, okay, so do you think that's going to happen? And what can we do to help alleviate it? And I kind of feel like our runway is too short and that there's nothing we can do to stop it. Well, I mean, that's quite a question. It does look I'll say in a very political way that a real estate crash looks inevitable because of the leveraging and as particularly in the US and the amount of debt that's out there that needs to be renewed, that paints a very mm-hmm. ugly picture. It feels as well that real estate's having its retail moment whereby, you know, when the retailers took yep. what, a, more than a decade to truly catch on to what Amazon was going to do to their core businesses mm-hmm. and how they need to adapt. So you'd think that being the case, if everyone could see what's coming towards them, they're going to be adapting and pivoting to try and ensure this isn't the case, that they yeah. can, can switch out of this. So that gives me a bit more hope that, yes, there'll be a crash or a downturn, but will everyone have mitigated that enough by responding to it now because they can see the writing on the wall, to your, use your phrase, mm-hmm. I hope. But the other way to look at it as well is, you know, there's a degree of, oh, you work in flex space. That's like we work, right? It must be a really tough time right now because the assumption is that we work's woes are all our woes. Right. That's clearly not the case. I mean, we work are quite an exceptional example for what's occurred to them and how it's mm-hmm. unfolded. That isn't indicative of demand. It's not indicative of sentiment towards the services that we all provide or how we provide them. Nor indeed is it indicative of long-term demand for the sector in any way whatsoever. But, but I do think it gives some people cause to pause and think, well, what does this mean for the sector? My view is not much. They got the model slightly wrong. They're pivoting now to try and sort it out. Hopefully they can. We all are responsible for the future of the sector now to build it into, as you say, hospitality, service provision, and making it better because I don't think it's an incident we've ever really thought that we're real estate. 
you know, you, we've never really been our bad. We've thought about workspace. We've thought about service provision. We thought ourselves as very different, different, and hopefully with different answers to those kind of real estate questions. So at some point, are you guys going to be offering these super amenitized spaces? So it, it comes in here, it, it comes through the research that to get people out of their homes and to do what you need to do, you have to offer people, it looks like from the research, you're going to have to offer people something plus plus. So different experiences, different ways of eating, drinking, reacting with the, interrelating with your workmates, whatever it takes, you're going to have to go pretty far with it. So going back to that work resort or hotel type, yeah, you know that that may be one. If you go to a place which is really mixed use and incredible, and there's so much to do and see there mm -hmm. with your colleagues, and it all empowers that whole thing. That's the logical direction of travel for this industry, isn't it? And we've, we've started that journey. And it makes so much sense to me because, like you know, yesterday I was working out of a Soho house because it was easy, and I needed to eat lunch, and I had a meeting coming up. And so, you know, it's like, could I go to a co-working space? Sure, but I needed food. Yeah. So, you know, my co-working space doesn't have food, so I went somewhere else. So it's like, also, it's like, it's just so, like, you, you've you got to just not be better than home. You've got to be exponentially better than home. And you've got to really, and we're really challenging people to think about like, what is the amenity that would just absolutely delight you? You know, what if, you know, there's a company in Canada that's putting gyms into like personal training gyms into empty office space. I'm like, I love that. That's brilliant. Yeah. I was talking to Natasha yesterday and she was telling me, I love this so much. There's something in London called borrow your dog or something. And like, you can sit in a co-working space and schedule a dog visit. Like, that stuff is brilliant, you know, or the co-working spaces that, you know, instead of booze, they have cake every Friday. I'm like, I am into that. And, and this is what people are asking for. They're saying these are the right. reasons they will come into an office, albeit I you know get away from my dashes. But yeah, that's Surprise that. and delight me, you know, make me want to come to your space. But then it makes, uh, you're completely right, but it, it makes people nervous because we're asking a lot of them. They're thinking, right, I've got to think big and dream big. And I've got to move outside my core product and service. I'm going to have to really try and overachieve here. How do you cost that up? How do you try and quantify a return against that? That's going to be interesting for the market. I agree. But you just said ministry is getting $1,000 a desk. Yeah. You yeah. know, these really high-end spaces are on wait lists. Like there's also that, you know, I love that scarcity model, right? Where you're like, oh, you have to apply. We might let you in. We might not. Like, I want to see more of that. Yeah, no, exactly. But then the way I still see it from the market in our role is if even somewhere like ministry has a 5% sort of down space, which they can't fill at any given time just due to mm -hmm. expiration of licenses or whatever, what can we as instant or the other aggregators do to try and push that space to make, give you guys that extra margin in that bump? Because 5% mm -hmm. of all that all the money to the bottom line, isn't it? Yeah. Factoring in voids or factoring in vacancy. How can we help solve that, that problem for the industry? So it's not a problem, but it's going to make the sum start adding up. And one thing's for sure is an, an operator in London who is at 90% occupancy now was probably at 85 or 80 pre-pandemic, but was making more money pre-pandemic because their margin on everything has decreased because costs have gone up on everything from any amount of service, and I'm sure it's the same in the same in the states. Food, everything is costing more now, and it's hard to pass that all back through to the end user. 
Well, and I feel like that is, you know, it's one of the dirty little secrets of the co-working industry is the margins are really slim. And I'm a big fan of raise your prices and those that value your product will stay and those that don't will leave. And then you'll replace them with somebody that values your product. Exactly. Exactly. But this is an aggressive way to behave in a market that feels a bit febrile. That's the thing. When when we're not entirely sure of the future path, any of us, because of this, Mm -hmm. you've got an election next year, we've got an election next year. There's now a yeah. new war going on in the world. It still feels like we're in this very uncertain state, even post-pandemic compared to mm-hmm. like, Yeah, but we're seeing price rises go up in some of these markets, but where we still feel the biggest kind of girl, uh, op, you know, option is the supply and demand mismatch because there are a lot of markets in the States for sure and in the UK where yeah. clearly the two things aren't aligned. Well, and that's just like, Post-COVID, everything changed and, you know, we're, we're, we're not aligned anymore. It's not aligned. It's still in flux. Well, but also the, the thing we noted is that in 2021, when we had like a mini boom post the second lockdown, mm-hmm. a lot of, there's a lot of demand, a lot of space sold. And I think we saw that a lot of expansion plans happened then. And they took a year to two years to mature because that's the time from site selection through to design and so mm-hmm. on. And actually what we've seen is those sites have opened up now and people are looking around and thinking, we've probably opened in the wrong space. This hasn't panned out because that yeah. was a bubble in 2021. Mm-hmm. And the issue with the data in the industry then compared to what we think we can do now is to give you not just data, but forecasting to say, look, let's look at this in actuality. What happened in 2021 is very, very different to this current market and it'll be different again in 2024 and 25. So what can we do to try and give you a balanced view of what and where you should be building? Yeah, one of the things we saw in Juicy Canada, which I thought was really interesting, was that like the number one thing people ask for is 24-hour access. And every operator just laughs at that because it's one of those things that everybody wants, but almost nobody uses. So like that's a really good like tip from Instant, which is, you know, just make it happen because it's ticking a box for people that might not be buying you because you don't have 24-hour access. So is there anything else in your data that's telling operators something that you feel like the industry isn't paying attention to? So I'm just trying to think through what the answers we're given by the consumers. And so I suppose the biggest thing is a flexible space to your point needs to offer more than just a workspace. Mm-hmm. So when I think about their options, they, it's not just equipment and IT support here, it's reassurance as well that the space can adapt to what they need and can become mm-hmm. something else. So it, Consumers have got a lot to ask of our industry, you know, and as you yeah. say, margins are tight, costs are difficult at the moment, but I think expectation levels of what they want when they come in are going to go up and up and up from a customer point of view. And we're going to have to pivot and adapt to that. And that's going to be a challenge. I think yeah. not, not necessarily a comfortable challenge either. I think it's going to be a difficult few years as we figure what that's going to look like and how that margin is going to sit on top of it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so last question, and it's a zinger, but I feel like you got this. What questions should I have asked you that I didn't? It's like the, the job interview question, what's my weakness? Uh, <laughs> I'd say, yeah, well, the question I'm going to ask everyone at, at GC UK, which we're looking forward to, because it's always an interactive audience there. So yeah. you can have to and fro, especially if Nikki Fuchs is there, she'll just be shouting out stuff. Oh, for from sure. And so she I, is. She's already bought her ticket. Front row. Which I look forward to. Yeah, yeah. It's to say, where will we be as a sector in two years' time? Now, that sounds really prosaic, but it feels like all the dice are up in the air at the moment, right? The mm-hmm. cards are up in the air. 
How are they going to fall? How do I feel? How do I personally feel? Like even in the darkest hour, I still feel very optimistic about the role we play and the ch- and there are, are, are options for the future. I think there is no doubt that businesses of all sizes are going to be buying more flex. There's just no doubt in my mind. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to have a really lumpy journey though, because I think other factors will play in. I mean, look at what happened last week in Israel that just came completely mm-hmm. out of the it's inevitable. It's one thing we've learned since 2016 that these shocks will happen. Yeah. So we it's kind of keep the faith because we're going to get there in the end. It's just it's going to be more of a white knuckle ride than we probably thought it was going to be. Yeah. In the when it's well, United, everything was doing that beautifully, wasn't it? And then look, it's suddenly we're here. Well, and I would add to that, like, so yes, things are going to happen in the world that we can't predict, but I think compounding that is also climate change, right? We cannot possibly imagine what's coming our way from a client climate change perspective you know no one can deny it now it's happening and you know we're going to continue to see big changes in our environment so not just geopolitical but also climate yeah and from here that's the number one consideration for corporate occupiers in the uk but i asked the same question in dc a couple of weeks ago about Mm -hmm. sustainability no hands went up in the room is that a key concern for anyone you, for you guys and your clients? Not really. Like it being pragmatic, the US is in a very different place, I think, to Europe about some of these things. Oh, totally. And like, it's funny because somebody challenged me and said, like, oh, you've been like, your thing has been mental health forever. Like, what's your next thing? And I was like, my next thing is sustainability. It is like, if you're not focusing on this, if you're not thinking about it, if you're not implementing it, you will be left behind. So you cannot put, keep your eye on the ball. That's fine. We'll just pass you by. Yeah. no, And we, you may or may not know, we introduced a sustainability index. We call it on our website last, last month. Yeah, I love that. So we're carrying kind of sustainability data for each of our operators. Well, some of our operators, because not everyone's doing it yet, to say mm-hmm. here, sustainability, sustainability data for end users. You can access it here, or you can inquire here for specific requests around this. What's interesting is those pages that do have that sustainability data on them are getting much more engagement than others already. So mm-hmm. I think that's the beginning of the journey because yep. I think it will become a criteria for purchase as time moves on is really? where will this take me and my business in terms of a sustainable future? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. And I love that we're ending on this positive note because you know me always, I am banking on co-working. I do think we're going to have a bumpy ride, but I know I have learned people will always self-select into space where they feel belonging in community. So co-working is going to be just fine flex we'll see we'll see a lot of times it's just space for the sake of space (laughs) well let's talk about flex and co-working in london when i see you okay sounds great john thanks again pleasure take care y'all and we'll see you on the next juicy podcast Mm -hmm.